I saw a cartoon a few years ago of a little boy. He was probably five or six. He was talking on a telephone. And uh, he was talking in the phone, and this is what he was saying. Mom is out of town, and the twins, and Annie, Billy, Sally, the dog, me, and Dad are all home alone. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Without Mom, the six people are all alone. Well, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> you may wonder if I've ever been asked to repeat a sermon, or you may not. Uh, today, today's study is, I think, the only sermon I've ever been asked to repeat which, after almost 33 years of preaching, is really pretty depressing. <laughs> but I've, ta- I've taught before on the topic of how to pray for your children. Although so much time has passed, for me it's now how to pray for your grandchildren. <laughs> but there's no, there's no greater expression of love for your children than to pray for them. It's, it's that important. And, uh, and by the way, I have to insert here, uh, I know that last week Lewis made this statement, and I wrote it down verbatim, quote, expository preaching is the only kind of preaching. What he meant to say was, expository preaching is the only kind of preaching except for next Sunday. <laughs> Every so often we do study something that uh, directly relates to equipping the saints for current topics. And, uh, for example, a few weeks, uh, um, well, a couple of years ago, we did a four-week ser- a series on homosexuality in the Bible and how to think about that biblically. We, we've done s- series on marriage and the family and, and various other things uh, from time to time. So we will discuss uh, things topically occasionally. There'll be a topical sermon, and then I'll repent. Uh, but we do try to always make sure that we teach Scripture in context. I recently read a statement by Adoniram Gordon, the founder of Gordon College, and he said this about prayer. Listen to what he said, and I put this in your bullet notes at the bottom. He said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We've been studying through that and what it means in Romans 8 and then into Romans 9 and struggled with some of the things there and, and, and rejoiced in many of the things there and uh, uh, trying to put together the whole counsel of God. And the God who tells us to pray is in sovereign control of the universe. And at the same time, he also promises us as our heavenly father Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is a promise from our sovereign God who tells us to pray. He, he says, I've got, I've got it under control. He wants us to revel in our security and in the fact that we are well-loved. By Abba, Father. And Abba, Father, tells us to pray. Why don't you think about these two ideas that are kind of swirling around these comments. Prayer, when we ask that the sovereign Father God protect and grow our earthly children. And at the same time, belonging to a sovereign Father God who wants us to feel and experience 
our safety and our security in belonging to him as his son, as his daughter. The, the security and protection of being loved by parents is a, a window for human parents, for human beings to look through and see the security and safety and love of an eternal Father God. That's the window through which we see the greatness of God. Children and the family, all those things are laboratories in which we learn these great truths. Does that make sense? So when we look at the family and the things that we learn from the family and and the pain that we experience in the family, all those are windows into understanding who God is and what he is like and the protection. I mean, we the protection of a heavenly father over us. We get a glimpse of that. As a child, I had a very vivid imagination, uh, a little bit weird. I remember laying in my bed at night wondering whether or not the external world was real outside my mind. And if other minds existed, how could I know that for certain? Because I could never get outside my mind to find out and I, I knew the external world was real, but how could I prove I wasn't imagining the world's reality? And uh, Lewis may want to analyze me after he hears the podcast on this. And, and, and Lewis, I want you to know, buddy, I'm, I'm a closed book. So, okay, so I had this, this uh, imagination. And when I was seven, my parents remodeled our small two-bedroom house, and they, they added a... a kind of a, another side to it, and then added an upstairs. So they, they made it into the house where mom and dad lived the rest of their lives. So they remodeled the house, small two-bedroom house, added this upstairs, and my sister was moved out of the bedroom with me into the upstairs where she had her own room. And when she moved out of my room, the creatures moved in. They were not invited. They were not welcome. They were not my friends. There was a lion in the closet, and uh, I was pretty sure I could hear him breathing. But even worse was the alligator. He was under my bed, and he was even more terrifying because he didn't make a noise. And I couldn't, I couldn't put my foot down on the floor to go to the bathroom or to get a wa- drink of water because the alligator. So... Um, most of you just have dust bunnies under your bed, no. And, uh, and sometimes at night there was possibly a, a snake under the covers of my bed coiled in that lumpy corner where my feet weren't. Are you with me on this? Okay. Now, if I couldn't tell the external world was real, but I kind of knew it was, then how could I tell that the alligator and the lion were not real, even though I kind of knew they weren't. So here I lay in my bed, trapped, uh, alone, and my parents are in the next room, and I lay there every night, and I called out, Good night, about every 15 minutes. And my parents were, Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. 
I know they got exasperated, and, and, and they said so at times, but I never heard, if I hear one more peep out of, you know, that, they never did that. What they were doing was they were providing assurances uh, of security for a scared little boy. And so for months, until I grew out of that, uh, they, uh, you know, it was, by the time I was 18, I was good. This is exactly what God does in his word with his children as they live with the uncertainties of this world. And that's what, exactly what the last verses of Romans 8 are about. And we said before, the last verses of Romans 8 didn't have to be there. That whole section uh, is not necessary for the flow of the book. But God, as a loving father, wants his children to know. He wants us to know. There is no alligator under the bed. There is no lion in the closet. And, and if, if you'll forgive the license, the father is saying, it's okay, I'm here. You are not alone in this, in this life. And there are things that will hurt you, but you will always be in my hand and I will always be with you. I'm not just in the next room. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's how God treats his children. How are we to treat our children? There's no greater assurance of your love and your security for your children that you love them unconditionally than, than your ongoing prayers in their behalf. And I will promise you, there is no term limit for praying for your children as the decades pass. So today's challenge is not the exposition of a text, which is what we ordinarily do. It's more advice from a pastor and friend. Uh, I'd like to give you some guidance on some specific things, some bullet points to pray for your children, for your grandchildren. Some of them I'm just going to mention, others... I'm going to develop more fully so that you understand what I mean. And the list that I have before you is not exhaustive. It's just suggestive. There are many other things that you could pray for your children, but I think any list should include these things. And, and by the way, let me make clear, okay? If, if, if you don't get this, make sure that you do. If you hadn't gotten it thus far, God doesn't need a list for your prayers to be heard, for your prayers to be efficacious, including the things that you don't know what to pray or how to pray. But he knows. And that's what's important. Romans 8, as we've recently studied, says that God helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'll tell you, my friends, that, that's good news as we pray for our children. So how do you pray for your children? Okay, I'm, I'm going to go down the list. I'm going to treat a few of them very, very quickly. But several of them I'm going to, I'm going to pause and make s several comments about. And if you would like to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, there is a passage we're going to look there at, uh, at there in just a moment. The first point is this. Pray that your children will know Jesus Christ as their Savior, hopefully early in life. That's priority number one, isn't it? 
3 John, verse 4, the apostle writes, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Now, John is speaking of his spiritual children. But for us, that includes praying that our physical children become our spiritual children. I want my children to be with me eternally. That's number one prayer. Okay. Um, didn't see that coming. Sorry. <clears throat> and I know, I know this sounds like a foolish question, but are you witnessing to your children? Are you sharing the gospel with them uh, from the earliest ages on? There are different, I mean, we don't know exactly when, uh, what, you know, Isaiah chapter 7 describes uh, an age when a child knows the difference between right or wrong. Sometimes we call that the age of accountability. I don't know if that's uh, 7 when you have a weird imagination or when it's 17 when your mind is more fully developed. I don't know if it's 27 when your mind, you know, I, I don't know what age it is where uh, people understand enough of the gospel to grasp that and I think it's an individual thing but all the way through we should be speaking the gospel within our families rejoicing in the truth of who Jesus Christ is and for what and what he has done for us in saving us from our sin I, I think that that is a, a no-brainer one, one lady said to me I don't know how to witness to my children but it doesn't matter because they're children of the covenant no, that is so wrong-headed in the way that she was thinking. You just can't think that way. Don't assume, also, don't assume because Tommy prayed a prayer at age four, but he's lived for the devil ever since, all the way through college, that he's okay because he prayed a prayer at age four. You can't assume those things. Just speak the gospel all the way through with your children as they as they grow and mature and hopefully mature in the Lord. Uh, one of the passages that I love, of course, everybody loves 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which tell us all Scripture is inspired by God, literally God-breathed out, and profitable for teaching. This is what we're supposed to teach. For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, I solemnly charge you, verse 2 of chapter 4, preach the word. Okay, so we understand that mandate. We understand that model. But here's what I want you to see that may not be quite so obvious. I want to back up to verse 14 of chapter 3. This is something you may never have noticed before. Paul says to Timothy, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And he's speaking primarily of his mother and his grandmother. He was raised in a single-parent home and taught the truth by his mother and grandmother. And they modeled it before him so that, he could, so that Paul could say, knowing from whom you learned them. And he, he says this, that from childhood, and he, the word childhood there is a Greek word, brephos. We, it, it's used in some places of, a, of a, an infant. It's used of John the Baptist when he leaped in Elizabeth's womb. You know, brephos on board, ancient chariots. So brephos was a, was a term, it, it could be used of an older child, but it was used of, of children from their earliest 
from the earliest age of dawning consciousness. Okay, so from the time you have dawning consciousness, from a brephos, he says, you have known the sacred writings. And he uses the word here, grammata. We grammar school. Our word grammar comes from that. Words, the word means letters. It's the same word that's used in Galatians 6. You see with what large letters I write this epistle. So, or I write these words. So if we put that together, here's what I believe that we have. From the earliest conscious memory of even learning to read, Timothy, I believe, was probably taught to read from the scriptures. But at least from the earliest conscious memory that he had, the scriptures were a part, the letters were a part of what his mother and his grandmother sat down with him and went through. So, and notice this, from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom. We're going to come to that word in just a moment again. Wisdom, the Old Testament concept of wisdom means skill in the art of living. So, scriptures are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And in the New Testament, salvation is not just redemption. It's broader. It's bigger. It means Jesus saves me all the way through with everything until the final day when he who began a good, and work, good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great stuff? Now, here is the mandate. Here's the example. Here's what Timothy's mother, single parent home, and his grandmother did to build the word of God into him and that kid had eternal impact because his parents had eternal impact pray that your children will know jesus christ as their savior hopefully early in life i I, you know my story i was raised in a wonderful christian home went to a bible teaching church walked down the aisle at age seven joined the church got baptized at age seven and uh, was had no desire to live for the lord until i arrived on the steps of a pagan university when it was time to sink or swim do i really believe this stuff or not and i wasn't sure because there were so many enticements what i came to realize that i had placed my faith not in the lord i had placed my faith in my parents faith because they were really good at saying good night at that comfort at that uh unconditional love And they were also truthful. So I'd place my faith in their faith. And I had to realize God doesn't have grandchildren. God has only children. So pray that they will enter into a first-generation relationship with Jesus themselves. Secondly, pray that they will develop godly attitudes. Now, that sounds pretty undefined, very broad. Here's what I mean. You want your children to develop a biblical worldview so that the The truth of Scripture will be the lens through which they interpret their lives, their relationships, how they see God, how they see themselves, how they how they see others around them, how they see their work, how they see everything, the circumstances of their life as God sees them and and interprets them. And there's so many examples of that that we could talk about. Just going to mention a couple. You don't want them to develop a love of God's truth. Truth. Is essential. In a marriage, it's essential. In parenting, it's essential in life. God is a God of truth. And he says, sanctify them by means of truth. Your word is truth. And he also 
uh, t- tells us, for example, in Ephesians five, in, in Ephesians uh, chapter four, there's an interesting statement where where the apostle Paul says, uh, "Speak truth one to another," and he uses uh, you know a verb and a predicate uh, predicate object. Speak truth. Okay, that's in verse twenty five of Ephesians four. But earlier in the chapter, Ephesians four fifteen, verse fifteen. He says that the way that we are to live is to truth it in love. And he takes the word for truth and makes it into a verb. You are to live truth. And that is what we are to pray for our children because communication falters if we don't speak truth to them and if they don't learn to speak truth to us and to others around them through the lens of, a biblical, of biblical truth. You want them to develop a hatred for sin. In their lives. Psalm 97.10 says. Hate evil you who love the Lord. Romans 12.9 says. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. We have just become so anesthetized. By the constant drip drip drip. Of, of advertisements. And billboards. And everything around us. The sins that are just absorbed. As part of the DNA of our culture. And often celebrated. Uh, in, in advertisements. In, in such quantity that we're just not shocked anymore. I mean, this past week, who would have ever thought that, that to accommodate the gay, bisexual, transgendered scouts and scout masters, that the Boy Scouts of America would drop the word boy? It'll be effective, I think, next year. Cultures change. But God's word does not change. God's standards do not change develop a love of God's truth, develop a hatred of sin in their own lives. And I think another example of a godly attitude, and I mention this one now because it also is countercultural. You want them to develop a healthy understanding of authority. That is something all the way through the scripture, the authority of parents, the authority of teachers, the authority of police, the authority of other adults. Uh, let me explain this a little bit. Because I see this idea of authority eroding around us. And that it becomes, it's going to become a real problem in the life of your child. And parents especially, we've talked about this many times. Especially when we did the series on the family uh, a while back. And especially when we studied through the book of Proverbs uh, not so long ago. Children have to be trained to submit to authority of their parents. And if they don't, there should be consistent punishment. Okay. All right, consistent punishment if they don't submit to your authority. I mean, our sinful, our default, our sinful desire is naturally to resist because we don't want anybody telling us what to do. <laughs> Last Wednesday, one of my grandsons who lives in another state was getting a spanking for his behavior. And before the spanking, he said, if you had just given me what I wanted, none of this would have happened. He's five. I think he has a vivid imagination. So the, the idea of respect for authority includes not only parents, but also teachers, uh, governing authorities, police, uh, other adults. I mean, when you see a child, when you see your child disrespecting 
a Sunday school teacher or ignoring them. Don't let that go. Um, There's a deeper agenda here, and here it is. If the child grows up without respect for teachers, police, and parents, or other adults, they will never have an easy time submitting to ultimate authority, including the authority of God over them. Well, I know what the Bible says, but I don't really think that applies to me. Proper understanding of authority is a transferable concept. Remember the story of Jesus and the centurion in Luke 7? The centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further. I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority and soldiers are under me. So he's in the middle of this authority chain. I say to this one, go and he goes. And to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Because he understood how proper authority worked among men, this centurion grasped the authority of Jesus over everything. And Jesus praised him, and we're talking about him today on Mother's Day, all these centuries later. Our sinful default is to resist authority. As I said, anybody telling us what to do. We don't want anybody telling me what to do. So we pray for a biblical attitude that our children will develop towards authority because our authority as parents extends maybe for a couple of decades, and then they're out of our home. Here's what we want. We want our children to obey God and to submit to his authority over everything when we are no longer around. That's the goal. So I I, I belabored that point, but I think it's an important point. As our children develop godly attitudes of biblical worldview uh, towards God's truth, towards sin, and towards authority. So many more things we could say about this. But the next point is pray that they'll develop biblical priorities. Seek God first. His kingdom. right, His righteousness. All these other things, they'll be added to you. But right now, each day has enough trouble of its own. Focus on what's important first. He is the priority number one. Don't be double-minded. Someone who's got so much of the Lord in him that he can't enjoy the things of the world. So much of the world in him that he can't enjoy the things of the Lord. Double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. Be single-hearted, focused on him. Being transformed through the renewing of your minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. Focus on pursuing wisdom. All of these things are a part of developing biblical priorities. In in the book of Proverbs, we examine the practical areas of life in which wisdom is to be applied. Marriage, work, friendships, the way we use the tongue or language, money. All of those things are a part of skill and the art of living. They're a part of developing biblical priorities. But we've, we've studied through those things many times. And uh, these themes have been a part of our ongoing teaching. So I'm going to move now to that next point. Pray that your children will be caught when guilty and admit their sin. Listen to these two verses from Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. 
you want a case study in someone who's after God's own heart, look at David when he sinned and look at Saul when he sinned. King Saul, whenever he was caught, he blamed everybody else around him. Well, the people. Well, Samuel, you weren't here. And then when David was confronted with his sin, I'm guilty. Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned, O God. When you pray this, what you're asking is that your children make their mistakes while they're under your roof. While they're young and the tuition is low. And you can help them learn from those mistakes. It's better that they learn now from their sins and be punished now than to be overprotected by well-intentioned parents and have to learn later when the tuition is much higher. In medicine, it's called immunization. (laughs) But it's better to be caught stealing a quarter and be punished and learn a lesson than to be jailed for embezzlement. I'll never forget catching two boys when I was working in a store. Uh, Two of us caught these two boys shoplifting. They were about 12, 13, 14 years old, something like that. Two boys. We called parents. Both fathers were coming in. One father came, for, got there first. And he said there had to be some mistake. His boy would never do anything like that. And he argued with us while the boy looked on smugly. <laughs> and the dad stormed out with his son. And I'm sure he probably took him somewhere to buy him something. So he wouldn't, you know, he, he wouldn't be so distressed. Um, the other father came and thanked us. And um, he looked at his son with firm disappointment. And his son looked back at him, crushed that he dis- disappointed his dad. And he also got a pretty good idea that something was going to happen when they got home. But I remember thinking as, as they left, okay, that boy's going to do Okay. That boy's going to be okay. Which one of those two boys would you want to be head over human resources in your workplace? (laughs) Now, it is true. Sometimes, like the prodigal son, lessons have to be learned the hard way. And don't forget in that story, the father of the prodigal son is a picture of God. Because children make their own choices. Sometimes that, I mean, that boy had to learn hard lessons in order to return eventually to the father's house. But it's easier to learn when the tuition is low. Next point, pray that God would place around them a hedge of protection to protect from Satan in critical areas of their lives, spiritual, emotional, physical. This is a biblical picture that I want to pray for my children, my grandchildren. In Job chapter 1, Satan complains to God, quote, listen, listen to this. Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You hear that? Okay. Lord, I want that hedge. (laughs) I want that around my children. I want want that around my house. I want it in place and I want it high. Thank you very much. (laughs) In in, in Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed 
for you. What has Jesus done? Prayed. That your faith may not fail. Listen to this. And once, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You're going to make mistakes. Okay. But when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. This is a a prayer of protection over your children that bad people can't find their way to them and they can't find their way to bad people or bad places. Um, And all of those things are up to God and up to the choices the child makes. But I'm going to pray for that hedge of protection. Next, pray that they will be responsible in their relationships. There are many things to focus on here. In the Garden of Eden, uh, God established two things. Vocation or, or work. He gave us good work to do. Work is a good thing, biblically. Um, we're meant to be productive and creative in what God gave us to do. Work is good. And the other area is the area of relationships. Uh, husband to wife and, and relationships to the domain of responsibility. Uh, the, the creatures under him other people around him, all of that is a part of the developing relationships of what God started in the Garden of Eden so that we will be responsible in our relationships. So when you pray for work, the, your children's work, your, their labor, you're praying really for a major area of their life. From the time they start school, they're, in late, they're doing their labor. They're doing their work. So uh, chores at home, uh, work at school, whether it's kindergarten or whether it's medical school. The school is school. And then later on, when they become school teachers, it's, it's all a part of their labor. If they're homeschooling, if they are homemakers. So pray for protection that they will distinguish themselves as Daniel did. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel began distinguishing himself among his, the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. His work was a testimony to God. In Colossians 3, we're told, whatever you do, do your work heartily as to the Lord, uh, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Your work is to be a testimony to your Lord. Another area is the area of marriage. If it's God's will for your children to marry, Scripture is very clear. You marry someone who is a growing follower of Jesus, period. And you also pray fervently that they will enter marriage with the gift of purity to give to their spouse. That is what we pray. And let me suggest something to you, which you may already do. Pray for their mate. And I'm speaking to those of you especially who have smaller children in your home Pray for their mate that their parents would raise them in a godly way. In fact, their parents are people whom your grandchildren are going to love. So, yeah, pray for them. Pray for that truth. And, and pray for the right kinds of friends. Another area of prayer that they would be protected from the wrong friends and drawn to the right kinds. Proverbs 17, 7 says a friend loves at all times a brother is born for adversity Proverbs 27 says as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another the goal is that they would find the kinds of friendships where they would encourage 
and grow in the Lord together. Hebrews 10.24, we're to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We need believing friends who encourage us into a faithful walk with the Lord. You want that for your children. And and this is especially critical when they go off to college. Uh, Hannah got involved in the crew uh, organization at uh, ETSU. Uh, I've heard others of the young people in our church who've been involved in Christian organizations at the colleges where they uh, have attended. That is so critical to have that fellowship. Okay, there's a lot of stuff that we've talked about here, but it's all pretty simple. It comes down to one thing. The best thing that you can do for your children is to pray. The Lord knows what those needs are, okay? The Spirit interprets that. But pray. Pray for them. Our goal is to move our children from being selfish to being selfless where it's not themselves that they have on the throne of their lives, but Jesus. And as much as we may want to, we can't be there to make decisions for them. When they make those small decisions that forge a character, uh, we'd like to make those decisions, but we want them to move from dependence on us to independence from us and dependence upon God. Because we're not always going to be around, but he is. That is what we pray for. And we want them to obey us as parents, but then as they get older and understand more, to transfer that obedience to God. And as they obey him, move from being selfish to being selfless. Two closing things. First, you can do everything right as a parent, but your children will make their own choices, for which they are accountable to God. You just keep loving them. You keep praying for them. But you do not own the guilt of their choices. Let me repeat that. You do not own the guilt of their choices. I was counseling a father this week, someone not in the church, whose child had betrayed him in public in a very hurtful way. And this is what he's going to do. Love her. And pray for her. What are you going to do? I'm going to love her. And I'm going to pray for her. And he said, what else can I do? (laughs) But there's nothing greater than he could do than to love her and to pray for her. She's mad because she's not getting her way. Love her and pray for her. Second thing, are you modeling each one of the points that you pray for your children Every one of us has made mistakes in every one of these areas. I have made mistakes that I do not want my children to make. None of, our ki- none of us wants, wants our kids to bear the scars that we have from some of the mistakes that we've made, some the things that, the scars that we carry. We will never be perfect parents. We don't come into parenthood with perfect track records. And we're not going to develop a perfect track record ourselves. But we do have a perfect, sovereign, heavenly father who loves our children more than we do. And who tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much of our unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. 
so that we can say in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the mothers who are here. Thank you, Lord, for the, the joy of celebrating them. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would take our children and love them in ways that go beyond what we know and what we can even feel. Uh, and Lord, uh, pull them into your arms early. Encourage them, Lord, to walk with you daily. And Lord, we'll rejoice with you eternally. In Jesus' name I pray.